0: Welcome to our online service today. We are so glad that you're joining us. What we're doing on campus live today, um, for many technical reasons, we can't stream live. We're being a little creative, having a little fun, and we will make that service available to you in not too long, but in the future. It's going to require some editing. Um, but you know, around here we say, your story matters. And we want to share with you a message that Tim gave several years ago about his story during a series called 11,000 Days, where he really talks about how he came to know the Lord and how the Lord pursued him through, those, uh, through that time. And so we want you to enjoy it, take heart, ponder your own story, and we look forward to seeing you soon. It's a beautiful thing, man. I love, uh, I love the fact that I think we all identify that life is a... Is a beautiful struggle. And that would be the subtitle of what I want to talk about is 11,000 days. It's a beautiful, beautiful struggle. I want to start just with sharing my life story with you today. I did that when I first came to this church almost five years ago, but I want to share my life story and I want to start before I get into my 11,000 days. I want to talk about my first 22 years that I'll call my BC days, my before christ days my before conversion now when you share your testimony i came to faith in christ in 1985 i went to a christian conference down in south florida It was called professional athletes outreach and i'll never forget that first year i was about a year into my faith they had this track this session on how to share your testimony and i'm like man i, I want to learn how to do that so the guy basically looked at us and said when you share a testimony you always emphasize three things you talk about your life before you met Christ. You talk about how you came to faith in Christ. And then you share how Christ has changed you since coming to faith in him. Well, that, that that's really good because every person that sits here who has repented and who has come to authentic faith in Christ has a BC story, has a this encounter with Christ story. And you should have more than just you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. There should be some transformational things that have happened in your journey. My life before Christ, I grew up down in Noonan. I was born and raised in Noonan, Georgia. Graduated from high school in 1980. As a young boy growing up, I was the oldest of three kids. Mom and dad, Earl and Glenda Faye. Yeah, they had me in December of 1962, Two years later, my sister Christy was born. And then nine and a half years later, the mistake, I mean, my brother Adam <laughs> was born. I grew up in a family. My mom and dad really, really loved me. My mom and dad really uh, provided for me. Uh, there was never a day in my life that I didn't feel loved by my parents. Your story may be different uh, different th- uh, than that, but I was really from from the time i can remember back i really knew i was loved my dad had finished the eighth grade my dad did drywall for a living he was the oldest of six and uh, his dad struggled with alcohol and gambling and so by the time my dad finishes the eighth grade he goes to work doing drywall if you've ever done drywall work it's not an easy profession hanging sheetrock and mudding drywall and sanding drywall that's what i did as a young boy growing up that's what put food on the table. My mom finished the 10th grade. And so my mom stayed at home to start off with. And then as the kids got a little older, she eventually got a job and she worked in an elementary school as a lunchroom lady. 1980, I graduated from high school. I was the oldest of all the cash gene pool, if you will. I was the first cash to graduate from high school. The bar was not really set that high. I've shared with you that I was in the third of the class that made the upper two thirds possible. You've heard me say I graduated from college eventually in three terms, Carter, Reagan, and Bush. It took me 10 years, but I had an incredible childhood when I was a young boy based on my dad's love for sports and athletics. And based on my love for sports and athletics, I started playing basketball and baseball as a young kid. And I really loved to compete. And I, I would go out and shoot basketball every day. Basketball was my favorite sport. Uh, i'm white and can't jump real high and so i found out that throwing a baseball was probably a better fit antonio you're six foot ten brother i didn't want to bang up against you i mean I, that wouldn't have been fun for either one of us it would have been a mismatch but I, I really found myself uh getting identity out of the game of baseball as a little leaguer i mean i was all, always on all-star teams and we played for the little league state championship and different things happened and, 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 but baseball was kind of the, the centerpiece of what drove everything about me. So I finished my days as a little league player. I turned 13 years old and all of a sudden, man, I am in high school at 13. Yeah, at, at 13, I was in high school. Uh, why I started to school so young, I don't know. But when I graduated my senior year, I started as a 16-year-old that turned 17-year-old in December. I was really one of the youngest kids in our class. But as I look back as a 13-year-old, a lot of things started to change in my journey. I wrote a piece a while back that I call my teenage struggle. I want to share that with you. I couldn't wait to become a teenager. To me, it meant freedom, hanging with your friends, a later curfew, it meant that you were about to have hair on your body. If I could only grow a handlebar mustache like Raleigh Fingers, that would be so cool. It meant high school sports. It meant getting introduced to, well, a lot of interesting stuff. Shortly after turning 13, two pivotal events took place in my life. They happened within only a few months of each other. The first was early summer 1976. I was hanging out with my uncle one day when he introduced me to girly magazines, porn, penthouse, playboy, hustler. I'd never seen anything like this. I didn't even know this type of literature existed in the same world in which I lived. These images are so difficult to erase from the mind. The second thing happened later that summer. My dad had got me a membership at a gym in town, the guy that owned the fitness center. One day after I worked out, he looked at me and said, if you were to die today and stand before God, where would you spend your eternity? I was a head scratcher. The thought of dying was scary. Eternity, what is that? How long is it? He then shared something called the Romans road. These are verses out of the book of Romans in the Bible. He shared with me that I was a sinner, meaning that I was really screwed up and I had done a lot of things wrong. He told me I was not righteous, had never been righteous, that there was only one person who was righteous. It was Jesus Christ. He told me that because of my sin, I would eventually die. I didn't want to die. I didn't even want to think about death. He then told me he had good news, something positive to share. He said that God loved me in spite of me, and Jesus died for my sin problem. I had no clue what all this meant. He then looked at me and said, I needed to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord so that I wouldn't go to hell when I died. So there I was 13 years old. I had gone to this gym to work out and I find myself sitting in a chair just worked over ambushed. Then the question came, don't you want to pray this prayer so you can go to heaven? Because if you don't, you realize if you were to die on your bike riding home today, you would go to hell. 13 years old. I'm confused. I'm baffled. I'm frightened again. The question came. Don't you want to spend your eternity with God? So I prayed with this guy a prayer Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart. Save me Thank you that I don't have to go to hell when I die Amen What had I done? The guy that owned the gym then looked at me and said I needed to go to church with him on Sunday He said I needed to so I did I'd only been to church a few times in my life. It was the spring my dad played on a softball team for a church and you had to go twice a month to play. That was my church experience. So that Sunday morning, I went to church with Buffy, the owner of the gym. I call him Buffy because he was all about impressing people with how buffed his muscles were. He took me to an independent fundamental Baptist church. I know these terms now, but had no clue about them then. One of the first things I was supposed to do that Sunday was to go forward at the end of the service and tell the pastor I'd been saved. That's what he told me to do. So I did in front of a hundred strange people. I went up front, shook hands with this strange man called a pastor. He looked at me and said, why have you come forward? My buddy Buffy told me to tell him I'd been saved. So I did. I was told that I then needed to join the church and be baptized. So I did. As I look back on that, I think I did it because I didn't want God pissed or mad at me. I didn't want to go to hell. I know for certain I didn't meet Jesus. I know for certain that I met religion and legalism. So that was the bookends of my first summer as a teenager. Now back to my church experience. I attended that church for only a few months. Really, I couldn't handle it. While I was going to this place, they told me if I wanted to please God, not to go to the movies anymore, get rid of all my Eagles, Doobie Brothers, Steve Miller Band, and all my other devil music albums, I needed to get a haircut so that my ears could be seen, and no more mixed swimming. I could only swim with guys. After the pictures my uncle had turned me on to, this didn't sound too attractive. (laughs) They also said I needed to read this Bible that was written in 1611. I remember one Sunday when I went to church, this Sunday school teacher looked at me and asked what kind of Bible I had. I told him I had the living Bible. I was fired up about the living Bible. It was a Bible I could understand. It made sense to me. That teacher told me that it was not the word of God I needed to get rid of it. He told me that if it wasn't the 1611 KJV, then I wasn't reading God's word. It's interesting that the way I talk and the way that 1611 KJV talk were not the same. And I started thinking if God really wanted to connect with people, why did he speak in such a strange way? I'll never forget the man looking at me and telling me that God's ways are not our ways, and I needed to get on God's page. Like I said, after a few months, I was gone. This God stuff was not for me. What a depriver of fun and joy he really is. I started thinking life is too short to live chained up like that. That was a bad conclusion. So at 13, I was introduced to church and naked girls. Reality is, as I look back, both were poisonous experiences. One would poison your perspective and view of who god is the other one poisons and perverts your view of who women are so the struggle was on as a 13 year old young man i'm now moving into puberty and now testosterone is starting to flow and i am absolutely confused i have no church background i know nothing really about the gospel i was introduced to legalism and guilt and shame and the struggle is on and my rebellion was born if you will And so as I started moving on into high school, I continued to play sports. I was on the basketball team as well as the baseball team. But my life then began to feature three major struggles, lust, language, and liquor. The three things that I battled most throughout high school as well as even after I went to college, I was fortunate enough to sign a baseball scholarship. I played four years of college ball. While I was there, my life was still flooded with lust with language and liquor. My language was terrible. My eyes had such distortion to them. People said, what did you do in college? I said, I did baseball, Budweiser, and babes. I didn't do books. And so my life is spiraling out of control. I was fortunate enough in June of 1984 to realize that childhood dream when I received a phone call from the Houston Astros and they said, we want to sign you to a professional baseball contract. I was so excited. This is all I ever wanted to do. I signed that contract. I joined the Astros organization. I played that first year of pro ball and then I was up in New York and I caught a plane to fly back to Atlanta and when I landed in Atlanta, my dad picked me up at the airport threw my bags in the car. We were going to shoot down 85 back down to Noonan. And as I got in the car and we started to ride, he looked at me and said, Hey, I've got to share some things. with you son? I said, you got it. He goes, uh, I just want you to know two months ago, your dad gave his life to Christ and your dad is radically changed now. So all your hell raising and drinking and coming home about halfway hammered with your language and all this stuff, son, it's not going to work. I didn't know what that meant. I knew that I couldn't change who I was, what I had been doing, where I was at. I was still living in major sin with lust, with bad language, and with liquor. I I, I went to play ball the following spring, 1985. I go to my first ever major league spring training. They had the greats of Nolan Ryan, Jose Cruz, a bunch of these stud players in that day. I was able to share that complex with the Astros. I'm there. I'm so fired up about being a pro player. But my life continued to spiral out of control. It was was awful. Well, as the season starts that year, my friend Jeff, my best buddy from high school, Buck Hannon, he died about two years ago. But Jeff wrote me a handwritten note. We didn't have fax machines and emails and texts all back then. Jeff, he sent me a handwritten note. And in his letter, he just said, man, I just want you to know I love you, buddy. I'm thinking about you. I just want you to know that just a couple of months back, man, I surrendered my life to Christ, and I just want to tell you how good God is. I want you to know he loves you, buddy, and I'm praying for you. So I get home. I have my first elbow surgery in August of 85. I'm rehabbing my arm. I'm trying to see if I can get my arm back in gear. I go out with my buddy Tommy one night. We shoot down to a bar, and we get pretty hammered. I dropped Tommy off at his car. I remember driving in my little Mazda pickup truck down 85, coming back to Noonan from LaGrange. And while I'm driving, I'm just flooded with shame and guilt and misery. I took that 12 ounce can of Budweiser and I slammed it on the pavement. And I remember just looking up into the sky going, what is going on with me? I'm one of the most miserable people deep down inside I know. People are applauding me saying, you're a professional ball player. Man, you got all your college paid for and look at where you're at. You're, You're doing so well. But deep down inside, I'm like, man, I am so disturbed. I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, still buzzed with a hangover. My mom woke me up and she said, hey, Jeff is on the phone. He wants to talk to you. It was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget. I went in and grabbed the phone. I'm like, Jeff, what's up, bud? He goes, are you going to go to church with me today? I said, I'll go to church with you today. I walked into church that morning and I'm still reeking alcohol. And I remember sitting there and as this choir and praise team was singing, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? I'm sitting there going, I have no light. I have no salvation. I have tons of fear. The pastor shared the gospel that God loved me and God really did care about me. And it was that morning as I sat there, tears began to flood my face. And I'm like, I need help. I need to be saved from me. I'm, leaving, I'm living a lethal lifestyle, man. Something's got to change. And in October of 85, 11,000 days ago, I fell on my face and I cried out, Jesus, save me please come into my life. I don't want religion. I don't want anything. I just want to know you. Walter, this dude who was in the church, a former acid and mushroomer and just a party freak himself, had come to faith about five years before that. And Walter comes down while I'm praying, never had met the guy, seen the guy. He puts his arm around me. And he quotes 1 John 1, 9. And he said, if we confess our sins, God is Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? I said, Walter, I do. I I, I do. And he said, well, just confess it and let it go. God really loves you. And I did. And my life radically started changing then. I I, I then knew that the Holy Spirit was residing inside my soul. It was like this awakening moment that I had really encountered Christ. I didn't want anything from him. I just wanted to know him. I didn't want to jump through any more of the religious hoops. I didn't want to play any legalistic traps. I just wanted to know him. So Walter says, let's me and you start to hang out. And I said, let's do it. And and the first time I'm with Walter, he takes this piece of paper and he writes this big R on it. And he said, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to read, and we're going to research, and we're going to remember. We're going to read the Word. We're going to research the Word. We're going to remember the Word. He challenged me to memorize Scripture. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know the book of Job from the book of Job. I didn't know how to pronounce certain things. I had no clue, and that guy introduced me to the Word. I read a poetic piece a while back that I titled The Dog, Born in the winter of 62, what was his purpose? He had no clue. Who he was, no one knows, aimlessly drifting through life he goes. A sooner, a mud, a misfitted best, confused and uncertain, searching for rest. Longing for meaning, for reason, real life, chasing a ball, he wallowed in strife. Destined for failure like all other hounds, there's no need for dreaming was the echoing sound. Then one day as he wandered the street, the king reached down and he fell at his feet. With compassionate eyes and carrying his hands, the dog was told of a promising land. He thought the story was too good to be true. He wept with joy as his heart was made new. I'll take you with me. You will be my treasure together for life. Experience my pleasure. Rescued and ransomed, a gift that was free The dog's name is no secret. The dog is me. I am totally blown away. 11,000 days later of thinking that the king of all glory would reach down and interrupt and intercept and change a story like this. Man, I started getting into the Word. I started hanging with guys in worship and in prayer and in fellowship. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I needed to watch my playgrounds, playmates, and my play toys. I needed new playmates. I needed some people that could help me grow. And so I started getting into the Word. I remember getting turned on a new song. I, I went back to play ball in 1986. I'm a new man. I couldn't wait to share my testimony. They already knew what a hellraiser I was in the locker room. But they're looking at me like, what happened to you? And I said, I met Jesus. I didn't know a lot. I didn't know the Romans road. I didn't know much outside of John three sixteen. But what I did know was I was a new, different person. And they could see it too. I meet these guys in 1986 playing ball. My buddy Dave, my buddy Jeff, they were from Southern Cal. They had both come to faith about a year or two before that. They were a part of a Calvary Chapel uh, church movement out in California. I start hanging out with these guys. They're like, dude, let us turn you on to some worship stuff we're listening to. I'm like, cool. They turned me on to Terry Clark, Maranatha. I started listening to Terry Clark. Man, I love that music even to this day. God started using worship. All of a sudden, he started blowing me here and there into great relationships. I had some Baptist buddies. I'm playing ball in 86. Man, I'm a brand new saved dude. My buddy Jimmy, who passed away a few years ago, he's going to an AG church, uh, Evangel temple. I start going in there, man. I'm looking at tongue talkers, pew jumpers, snake handlers, Presbyterians. I mean, whatever they were, I had a variety of experience, man, with the body of Christ and God radically started changing me so over the next weeks I want to share with you some of those nuggets that God has cemented in my heart that have changed me in my journey I, I would encourage you to work on sharing your story who you were before Christ how you met Christ And how he's changed you. But I also would challenge you, write down some of these timeless truths and some of these great nuggets that God has poured in your heart that you can pass on to your family and friends and loved ones. I want to share four today, but over the next month, I'm going to share a boatload of these kind of nuggets the first thing I would share as a principal statement of Senior Bulletin would be this things I've learned. I've learned that everyone's story matters and has redemptive value. I, I've really learned that. I've learned that if God can intercept a ragamuffin like me who is bent out of control and change me and start to transform me, He can do it for you. There's not a person in this room, not a person in this city, not a person in this county, not a person in this state, in this nation, in this world that cannot be changed. Their story can have redemptive value. I, I read a thing the other day that said the next Billy Graham may be getting hammered in a bar right now. You would read that and you would say, no, yes, yes, it might be true. That dude might be stoned out of his thinking mind right now, sloshed in his cup, but he might be months away from this supernatural awakening with the gospel of Jesus. And 10 years later, this dude may be taking the gospel all over the world. Why? Because every person's story matters. Acts chapter 10, opening his mouth, Peter said, I understand now that God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. If you want to know God and you're ready to obey him and do what's right, the door is wide open for you. He goes on to say, there's peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Aren't you glad to know that your story matters today? You can be a gangbanger out just on the streets doing drug trafficking and all of a sudden you meet the king and you go, man, my story matters. Barb was talking to one of the girls in our church here recently and she said, Barb, I got so hung, just strung out and hung out on meth. She goes, I went 28 days without sleeping You would hear that. She sits here week after week. She's got her Bible. She's got her pen. She's got her journal. Why? Because her story got interrupted. Come on. Anybody in here been ambushed by the gospel? Not by religion. Not by legalism, but by Jesus Christ. Your story matters. You're not an accident. You matter to God. Even before the universe was created, God was mindful of you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. God's nuts about you. God cares about you. And I'm telling you right now, if you started to believe that every day, if you woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror and said, your story matters to the one who made you. Your story has redemptive value. Your story doesn't have to be lost in the shuffle anymore. God wants to use you as a donkey giving divinity a ride. He wants to use you. It would change your day. Come on. It would change your day, your life as a purpose. Second thing would be this. God is truly for me. Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Whom the son sets free, he's free indeed. He goes on to say, if God is for us, who can really be against us? And then he says in verse 37, knowing all these things that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Man, that right there was a life changer. Because shortly after coming to faith in Christ, I still empowered my past at times if, if it still mattered. And I would oftentimes run to God begging him to forgive me over and over and over for the things that I'd done five and 10 and 20 years before. And God goes, hey, 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 I've nailed that to the cross. My son has redeemed you. I'm for you. Your past may insult you and scream that it's against you, but I'm for you. I have once and for all canceled out your debt. You're clean. Clean? Yes. You're not just forgiven. You're clean. You want to talk about changing a boy's perspective? I wasn't a man yet. I might have been 25, but I was still in stranded adolescence. I wasn't a man, but I started believing every day God is really for me. And if, if, if you write nothing else down all week, when you get up in the morning I would just write down God is for Tim, Thomas, Kim, Kelly, Bobby, Shelley, Mike. Nick, come on. God is for me. Will that change your day? But 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 if you really start to believe that that God is really for you, then when you meet steve and jeff and scott and all those other people in your world you have to stop and conclude that god is for him god is for her it's not god's will for any to perish it's not god's will to see any eternally separated and damned that person matters. but it's going to change the way I talk to that person and talk about that person and how I deal with other people. Even the person that divorced you or the person that absolutely ripped you off years ago matters to God. Even the bonehead Islamic dude that goes in and shoots people up matters. He, he 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 didn't repent, he didn't come to that faith and belief, but deep down inside God made him in his image. God redeemed him with the same blood that I got, and God was desiring to fill him with the Holy Spirit. Every person matters. That messes with me. Third thing would be this. Jesus plus nothing equals completion. Your story matters. God is really for you, but Jesus plus nothing equals completion, meaning you can't bring anything to the dance that makes God like you anymore. You can't sing the greatest song that would work other people. boys. You, you, you don't bring anything to the dance. I don't bring anything to the dance. When Jesus cries out in John 19. It is finished. He meant just what he said. Everything that the father has demanded and required for lost humanity to be able to be brought back into right relationship has been dealt with here in me. It is finished. He didn't say I've done my part. Now you go do yours. You don't have anything to bring to the dance. All I can bring is a broken story, Nick. All I can bring, man, is a wayward story of brokenness and say, I receive your forgiveness. It is finished. It is absolutely complete. I enter into the completion of Jesus Christ. Thus, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and No one's coming to the Father except through me. Why could he make that statement? Because he was the only one to complete what the Father had demanded. The law didn't complete it. These other religious so-called leaders didn't complete. There was only one that defeated death out in the grave. And he goes, it's finished. That's something that God has really rocked me with that I have learned. The fourth one would be this. I've come to realize that God's grace is beyond my comprehension. I've studied grace. I've meditated and memorized scripture on grace. I've read Philip Yancey and Chuck Swindoll and Max Lucado their books on grace. Here's the one thing I've come to realize that I still don't comprehend how amazing his grace is. I don't comprehend how he would even give me the breath of life. I don't comprehend that as I look back, even in my wayward days, why some of my friends were killed in car wrecks and OD'd and other things and how somehow my life got spared. I prayed multiple times, if you'll just let me get home tonight, I will never drink again, only to find myself hammered the next day. Why did you spare me? I didn't even get DUIs. Why would you ambush me with your kindness and illuminate my eyes so that I would see how good you are? Why would you give it to somebody like me that said right out of the gate, all right, I I, I, want to follow Jesus, but I will never stand up and talk in front of people because I've got all these mind monsters. I don't make any sense. I just don't feel like I'm articulate. I'm not going to do that. I'm scared of public speaking. And what is my life done? Go, go to Korea, go to Bangkok, go down to Venezuela, go to the Dominican, head out to Mexico, spend some time in Cali, go up to Vancouver, meet this beautiful bride in Toronto, go there, share the gospel. Seriously? A redneck from Noonan, ambushed by the gospel, has been exposed to the world? It's grace, it's undeserved favor. I don't bring anything to the death for by grace. I've been saved through faith. It's not a result of works. I can't boast about why I stand here today. It's a free gift of God extended. I am now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. unto good works that God prepared beforehand that I get to walk in them. How did you get it? It was a free gift. My buddy, Ernie Harwell, the voice of the Detroit Tigers for years, man, I'll never forget him sharing his testimony. And as he stood up that morning in front of these thousand people, he looked at him and he said, today I feel like a turtle on a fence post. And that stuck with me. He said, how many of you have ever seen a turtle on a fence post? And nobody raised their hand. And then he said, well, if you ever do, you'll realize it didn't get there by itself. Somebody had to pick him up and put him there. And he goes, thus I am where I am today because the kindness of Jesus Christ picked me up in the waywardness of my sin and gave me life. Now, listen, listen, listen. There's so many people that I deal with in the South In the southern church, listen, that have a false sense of security. I met with a brother this week. He was telling me 15, 20 years ago, some things happened. I know God spared my life for a reason. Man, I know I've been saved. There's no indication of real growth in his life. Praying the prayer has hindered more people of becoming disciples than you can shake a stick at. I'm reading a book right now called Organic Discipleship. There's so many people that believe that their entire faith story and testimony is what I shared when I was 13. Listen, I didn't meet Jesus. I met religion. I met legalism. I met Jesus 11,000 days ago. Jesus. Jesus. Paul would say it this way in Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to perfect it and matured until the day of Christ. So Tim, what started the work in you at 13? Scared that I was going to go to hell and fear that God would punish me. He didn't start a good work in you? No, no. He he didn't start no work in me then. Guilt and fear did. How many times? As people walked aisles in your church background, come on, some of you are sitting here, you go, I get it. Why did you do it? Because I was scared. Did he start a good work in you? My buddy Sean in the first service, he looked at me and he said, my story is very similar to yours. He said, I've just really surrendered and started anchoring in here in the last year. I know. But I had this false sense of security that I walked an aisle one day. How much hope was that bringing and peace was that bringing in your life? It only starts when I say, I'm going to repent and I'm going to unplug from that, from the world and trying to just satisfy myself with the flesh. And I'm plugging into that cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, save me from me. Make me the person you desire me to be. I come to know you and you alone. I don't want anything from you other than I just want to know you. You. Once you extend those arms and you fall headfirst into the the grace of his gospel, you're radically changed. So what are you saying? I'm saying there's people in here that need to respond to the gospel. Not religion or legalism, the gospel. There's people here like Sean, we're gonna baptize next Sunday. There's people here that said, I've never really been baptized. I got baptized at 13. I just got wet. It wasn't baptism. I got baptized after 1985. It was baptism. That's when I really got baptized. The other time, I just jumped in a tank of water and they threw me a towel. There was nothing spiritual about it. But after that 1985 encounter, I go, I make a public declaration that I am a Talmud and a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, what's your story? Have you surrendered to Him? Have you surrendered to him? And if not, do it this morning. Two, who are you sharing your testimony and story with? Because you got one. And God wants you to share it. You're just a donkey giving divinity a ride. You got people in your world. Come on, you can do it. I'm going to step out. I'm going to follow the Lord and be baptized. See me before you leave one. that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm in. And then the fourth challenge would be this. Write out those nuggets And those centered up principles that God's poured in you. Because the cool thing is, I've got books of this stuff that if I were to die tomorrow, my kids are going to have sermons and notes and principles and all this stuff I've written. Why? They may want to share it with their kids one day that I never get to meet. But I'm going to pass on something to that next generation. Paul said, Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many other witnesses, entrust them to faithful men and women who will go out and share them with others. I just wanna share things with you, believing that you're gonna go out and entrust them to others. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group and we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those, and we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.